This year, one of the ten films vying for the Oscars Best Picture Award is *The Shape of Water*, a film by Mexican director Guillermo del Toro. And it's safe to say that it's probably the first romance flick between a fish man and a mute woman to vie for the top award. I'm Patrick Verrill, and my guest today is Professor Miguel Garcia, an expert on both Mexican literature and cinema and Mexican science fiction. Now, a warning for some of you film buffs out there, there may be spoilers in our conversation. So, what did you think of the film? I loved the film. I was surprised by the, the visuals of the, of the film. I was also surprised by the music. Not really uh, a fan of musicals, but I think that uh, the music aspect of it was very uh, well done. For me, that was one of the, of the main reasons why I liked the film, that it was very elegant in the way it resolved different things. This strange relationship between a mute and a creature might be either a great idea for a science fiction film or also a ridiculous idea. The structure of the film was very straightforward, but then uh, this relation was very transgressive. The relationship between, uh, well, this interspecies relationship. And to me, that was kind of uh, an unexpected uh, way to carry the film, with also with two characters that don't speak uh, a line. That was also very uh, interesting how he was able to connect these two experiences without resorting to language, to verbal language, because of course there's communication, but it's non-verbal. To me, the aspect that struck me the most in this uh, movie was the respect that El Toro has for, for the monster, because even though he's a monster and he has some human characteristics, he definitely remains a monster throughout the film. And that was when I was uh, uh, waiting for, for the movie to come out, I was scared that he was going to somehow humanize the monster too much so he would the, the monster would end up being just like a regular human but he didn't i mean you see when he eats a cat creature so that also speaks of the political commentary in the idea of of being able to be you if even if you are an other now you study mexican science fiction what distinguishes it uh, from other kinds of science fiction one of the things that has been a distinctive feature of Mexican science fiction is the way it combines different genres. So you usually have science fiction elements, but you also have horror elements and fantasy elements and comedy elements. So it's a strange mix that usually works very well uh, when you watch uh, those movies, especially from the 50s and 60s. And the thing that holds them together, I think it's the character of the luchador or wrestler. So they would fight aliens, but then also monsters, and then also witches, and they would be like the glue that holds everything together. So now you have uh, this new wave of Mexican uh, filmmakers who are doing science fiction. But the difference now is that they're not using wrestlers. They're not interested in that uh, in that imaginary of the 50s and 60s because one of the uh, criticism of that period is that they were low-budget films. 
Well, that brings me to the next question: Is where where do you see this movie within that that genre? I, I don't see direct connection to the images or sounds from the Mexican movies. But here, what I see is more uh, a connection to his first feature film, which was shot in Mexico, and it's called Cronos. So in that film, uh, you have this old man who finds a device that gives him kind of eternal life, but also turns him into a vampire. And in that movie, uh, you have his granddaughter, who does not speak. And they have this uh, strange bond. Maybe in the, in the Shape of Water, he's not doing that very explicitly, but I think that he's drawing from the from the underlying connections to it, like the the combination of genres, as you mentioned, the callback to comedy, to horror, to fantasy. I think that's definitely the connection to Mexican science fiction. But so when you think about works that he's done that, that really harken back to his heritage. I would say Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth. And Pan's Labyrinth for, I mean, if you remember, you also have this very authoritarian figure, right? You have a general who is kind of also very obsessed with control. As in The Shape of Water, you have Strickland. So you have, uh, and also very strong female characters who are rebelling against that power. So I think that he's very interested in that in that character who is usually male, right? And in this, you have the added characteristic of being a white, middle-class male. I want to talk a little bit about some of the social commentary. Uh, there was one particular scene. There's a rather biting observation from a general who actually says to Colonel Strickland, the, the main villain, he says, and I quote, decency is an export. We sell it because we don't use it. In The Shape of Water, you can very clearly see uh, these political commentaries, as, like the one you mentioned. But I'm not so sure that he's uh, attacking American culture per se. I think that what he's uh, criticizing is the idea of authoritarianism in all of its forms. So I think that in, in this case... Uh, the authority is reflected in this white, middle-class male that is very driven. He wants to use the monster to have an edge in the, in the, in the Cold War against the Russians. He wants to use the, the creature. He's not interested in any other uh, interesting things that the creature might offer. He's just interested in the utilitarian aspect of it. And I think that that's what they're totally criticizing in, in, in this movie and in other movies. The utilitarian drive that many people have. The individualistic aspects of culture that do not let us see or form a community. What he wants to point out is that when we do that, when we focus only in that, we tend to exclude other, other forms that are different from, from our expectation. Now, one of your research interests is the intersection of eugenics and race in Mexican sci-fi. So uh, you must have caught it when the villain, uh, again, this is Colonel Strickland, who's white, and says to Octavia Spencer, his character who is black, that the Lord looks, and I quote, just like me, or even you. 
A little like me, more like me, I guess. I definitely made that connection as well. The point of eugenics is to create homogeneity. The interesting thing with Octa- uh, Octavia Spencer's character, but then also with Elisa's neighbor, who is a gay character, and then with the monster, is that they are different. All these monsters, I think that they uh, disturb the eugenic model by being different, by being anomalies to the system. In other countries that employed eugenics, one way to deal with difference was to assimilate it, to combine it, to create something new with that difference, like to to make uh, a new race, let's say. Like in Mexico, you have this idea of a cosmic race, the idea that all races would combine into a perfect, into a more perfect fifth race. But in the U.S., eugenics dealt with uh, difference by erasing it. So here, uh, the ambition of of this character, Strickland, is to kill the the monster at the end. Right? He he doesn't want the the monster to survive because it's the evidence that there's something outside of his frame of reference. In the movie, you see that with the monster, but also with the other characters that also. Elisa, it's a good example because he's also an anomaly because she cannot speak. She would be in the eugenic model uh, one subject that does not deserve to live or does not deserve to reproduce. And here, when you see the, the sexual act with the monster, you see that fear of reproduction. Because as I was watching that, I was thinking, well, what if the film presents at the end that they have a son or a daughter. I, I was thinking of that. How would that be presented in the movie? Of course, you don't see that. Uh, I want to come back to something you said before about music. Del Toro often paired this sort of jaunty, upbeat music along with these scenes that were anything but uplifting, particularly in the lab where the river god, as Del Toro would have it, was living. Is this juxtaposition, is this a common technique for him or is this something new? I think this was something new. I was not expecting this... Uh, I was uh, watching an interview that uh, with Del Toro, and he was asked about how he could talk about these very dark subjects, but then also remain optimistic. His short answer was, well, because I'm Mexican. And by that, he meant that Mexicans in general tend to have uh, this very strong connection to death as something that is inevitable, but it's not necessarily an end. And I think that the music in The Shape of Water serves that purpose as well, serves to underline that there's something positive in all the darkness. Were you surprised at the very end when it was you had the big reveal with her neck? I was surprised, yes. At the end you see this, uh, her scars kind of become uh, gills. Yeah. So she's able to be underwater and kind of, uh, if, I remember, if I remember correctly, they live together, right? They... That's they live happily they ever live, after in yes. a way. I was surprised again because I was expecting something really dark, as in Pan's Labyrinth. But then again, uh, I, I think I forgot that I was in the presence of a river god. But I think that it was uh, an excellent ending for for the movie. I think that it would be a very, uh, it would be a terrible thing to to finish on a on a dark note uh, after. You have seen all these uh, contrasts. Any predictions for Oscar night? 
I think that it's offering very Oscar-worthy material. Like when he when he's engages with when he's engaging with these issues of race or uh, or the the role of women in the workplace, right? The idea of harassment in the workplace is there. He's speaking to something very contemporary. I, I just think that there's a lot of competition 